I'm Marty Moscowain. Welcome to The Connection. I'm sorry. Two simple words that are often hard to say. It's not easy to admit we've done something wrong, hurt someone's feelings, made a mistake, and take responsibility for it. The default is to deny, to defend, to dispute, and make excuses, saying things like, sorry, but, or sorry if you were offended. Our guests, journalists Marjorie Ingle and Susan McCarthy, have been analyzing public apologies for a decade for their website, Sorry Watch. They've taken what they've learned and written it all down for their new book, Sorry, 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 The Case for Good Apologies. They offer six simple steps for making a heartfelt apology, how they can heal a relationship, and can benefit our society. Examples of bad apologies abound. Corporations, celebrities, and government officials bungling attempts to make amends. Well, today on The Connection, everything you ever wanted to know about apologies. And let me welcome our guest, Marjorie Ingle. Nice to have you with us on The Connection. Thanks so much for having us. And Susan McCarthy, thank you for joining us on The Connection as well. Oh, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. You're very welcome. Let me begin with you, Marjorie. Why is it so hard for so many of us to say and to really mean, I'm sorry? Well, our own brain stands in our way. We are designed to survive by seeing ourselves as basically good people, as the hero of our own story. And when we do something wrong, we're faced with this cognitive dissonance of, wait, I know I'm a good person, but I did a bad thing. And we tend to resolve that cognitive dissonance in our own favor. Oh, I don't really need to apologize. Oh, it wasn't that bad. And so when we do apologize, again, our brains are doing double duty to make Hmm. us not really guilty. And a good apology is about accepting responsibility. And Susan, do we often see an apology as a sign of weakness? Yes, uh, yeah, we do. And it's ironic because uh, a person who is able to apologize well and take responsibility when it's appropriate is actually an impressive person and, and people will end up with a better impression of you if you do a good apology. And Marjorie, it's so interesting because um, we all have to learn how to apologize. We all do things we regret. We all make mistakes. We say hurtful things to people that we care about. And yet it seems that it's, it's difficult to sort of go through the process of making that apology. Why are we so unskilled at this? A lot of us did not see apologies modeled for us as kids. Uh, I know I had the experience of seeing my parents fight and then thinking all kinds of dreadful things were going to happen. And then the next day, everything was fine. I never saw the process of how we say we're sorry and how we accept an apology. Um, And we learn by seeing good things modeled. Well, I wonder if we could get to some of the good stuff, Susan. (laughs) I'll I'll go back to you, because your book is really, in in very detailed ways, but also very simple ways, um, uh, deconstructing what a good apology is. It starts with saying the words, and I'm quoting here, I'm sorry. Let's start there. Susan, why is it so important to, to say those two words? Either I'm sorry or I apologize works it's important because those words take, they are active and they take responsibility for personally. So we're just, we're so smart when we're trying to avoid apologizing that we come up with all these workarounds and we say, 
oh, I feel really bad about that. I really regret what happened. That was so unfortunate. And those are not words that take responsibility because if something happened, a bystander could regret them. A bystander could think, oh, that was unfortunate. That's really too bad. You have to take responsibility by saying, I'm sorry, or I apologize. And Marjorie, you say you have to say what you are apologizing for. Why is that important? Uh, Because you have to show you understand the bad thing. When you say, oh, I apologize for what happened, or I'm sorry about that situation, or I'm sorry about last Wednesday, you are doing a little avoidance dance, and uh, (laughs) that is what your friend or relative wants to hear, or constituent wants to hear, is I own this bad thing. By saying, I apologize and I did it? (laughs) Yeah, by saying, I apologize for spilling wine on you. I apologize for interrupting during the meeting. I apologize for saying I would unload the dishwasher, but not unloading the dishwasher. Say the thing you did. And Susan, you also say you have to explain to this other person why you know what you did is wrong. You have to explain the thing that you did that that was hurtful. That's right. You you have to uh, show that you understand the impact. You know, you have to say... I'm sorry I borrowed your car without asking you. I left you stranded. You know, I interrupted the meeting and you didn't get to finish explaining your plan. And Marjorie, you also say explain but don't excuse. And, and that can feel like a subtle difference. Right. Explanation is information maybe they need to know. Uh, I'm sorry I was late. Uh, the F train was delayed. Um, but... Uh, an excuse is, I'm sorry I had a party during COVID lockdown because it was really only a few friends in the backyard and I wasn't aware that it was really a problem and we all tried to keep this. Those are all excuses. You also have to say, and this is when it gets tricky, that I won't do this again, right? Yeah, and this is obviously not something that's part of a just casual, I'm sorry I bumped into you, Uh Apology, but uh, and that can be why it won't happen again. Uh, it can be something as big as I have joined a twelve-step group, and I'm not. I am going to do my best to make sure I never show up at your place drunk again. Um, or it can be like you know, I got I I got uh, a lift account, and so I won't be uh, borrowing your car without permission again. And. The other part is offering reparations if it seems like the appropriate thing to do. Marjorie, walk us through that. Yeah, that could be, um, please let me pay for the dry cleaning. Um, Let me, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. um, I I made extra work for you um, in the office. Please let me help take that off your shoulders. I'm happy to do this report instead of you. Um, You know, it could be. Uh, It could be an actual offer of reparations if you're a government. The nice thing about these six and a half steps is that they work for toddlers, they work for (laughs) family members, they work for politicians, they work for celebrities. They work for the toddlers who run our government. Is that what you're saying, Marjorie? <laughs> That's pr- <laughs> you caught my subtext. <laughs> I did, indeed. And Susan, uh, the 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 uh, I guess extra bonus point here is <laughs> the importance of listening to what that person says. Then, in response, that's right. Um, give them a chance to have their say, and you could learn something 
that you didn't know, but if they say, you know, uh, you, when you borrowed my car, uh, that didn't really bother me, um, but I was upset that I had no way to get home and I couldn't reach you and I was completely stranded and I had to go home, you know, get a ride from somebody I actually don't like owing a favor to. Let them, you know, if they have a grievance, let it let them get that off their chest. If maybe they're upset with you for a sure. completely different reason, you know, I... Thank you for apologizing for being rude to my sister. Uh, I, I actually think she had it coming, but I was upset that you overturned the chutney. And I wonder, too, Marjorie, I mean, some people are not going to accept an apology, even a, a well-thought-out and sincere apology, as you suggest in the book, that for some people they're going to, you know, they're going to say, I either walk away or I don't accept this or say something like, you do this all the time. Um, you know, the great medieval philosopher Maimonides said that you owe someone three attempts at a good apology. And if they don't accept it after the third time, you're off the hook. And it's as if you are forgiven. Um, however, a lot of times when people don't accept our apologies, um, well, some things are unforgivable. Um, I don't right. think anybody has to go around accepting, you know, um, Harvey Weinstein's apologies. But Sometimes you haven't apologized as well as you think you have. And I actually run my apologies when I have a really bad one to do. I run it by Susan before I do it. Because oh, wow. I, even having written this book, I find myself making excuses. I find myself dodging. And, uh, you know, a good apology means making yourself vulnerable and really saying the bad thing you did. See, I can relate to the idea of with an apology of just wanting to get it over with you know, and, and moving on from there rather than delving into some of the details of what I did wrong, Marjorie. Yeah, and it may be that the person you're apologizing to also doesn't want to just revel and wallow in this. So sometimes that's a good thing to think about is can I just send a really quick text saying, hey, I'm sorry, and will that do it? Or have I done something so dastardly that I need to actually get out stationary for this? Do I need to get out a stamp? Is it so bad? Uh, well, um, and, and you never want to apologize to somebody in a way that they can't get away from you. You don't want to sort of pin someone in their cubicle or start talking in a car, if there's any chance the person does not want to hear from you, really, again, you have to put their feelings to the forefront. Because it is about them, correct, Marjorie? Right, exactly. Uh, Susan, uh, Marjorie talked about mailing a letter, you know, something that doesn't happen every day uh, in, in the 21st century, but uh, is there a place <laughs> for, for, for writing or even texting or emailing rather than a person-to-person -person conversation? Oh, yeah. Um, for a couple reasons. One is you don't want people to be trapped with you. You don't want people to go, oh, my God, this is awkward. What do I, I don't know what, to, ah. you don't want them to be trapped in the car with you. Uh, you don't want them to be trapped in the elevator with you. But also, you know, if you write a note, that really shows that you took time and you thought about it. And, and as Marjorie says, you got out the stationery. Where is the stationery anyway? <laughs> and those stamps, um, right? And in not, not just in apologies, but thank you notes. It really makes a surprisingly big impact on people to get a note. Marjorie, you wanted to add to that? Yeah, I did. Um, I have a personal story that I had a bad breakup when I was in my mid-20s. And 
maybe five years after we broke up, I got a letter from the guy with no return address, just letting me know, hey, I wanted you to know that I think about our relationship and I'm getting married. And I want you to know that even though it didn't seem like I was listening, I was, and I'm going to be a better husband because of our relationship. So I wanted to say, I'm sorry. And I wanted to thank you. And it changed the way I viewed the past. I thought I was a freaking idiot for dating this guy. And I felt better about him. I felt better about me. Um, There is no time limit on a good apology. And it can make you feel so much better for delivering it. That's the thing we wanted to make sure that we made clear is that um, it's not just about receiving apologies. Giving apologies can make you feel really good. Well, let's take a very short break and then we'll get back to our conversation. We are talking about apologies today on The Connection. That's Marjorie Ingle and uh, Susan McCarthy, who are co-authors of a new book called Sorry, 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 The Case for Good Apologies. And they are co-creators of the website Sorry Watch. We have some uh, clips queued in, queued up, I should say. And we have much more to talk about after this very short break. Do stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. That is Connie Francis singing the 1958 hit song, Who's Sorry Now? And today on The Connection, we are talking about apologies. Margie, I want to pick up on something you said. You talked about hearing from an old boyfriend that really changed your life in terms of an apology. And you include in this book a really beautiful uh, interchange uh, between two men, a guy named Chad Michael Morissette, uh, received in the mail a, a letter from a, a friend from, all right, I'm not sure it was a friend, but someone from mm-hmm. from his junior high school who said, hey, Chad, I was recently talking with my 10-year-old daughter about bullies. She asked me if I ever bullied anyone, and sadly, I had to say yes. What came to mind was how mean I was to you when we were in junior high school. I want to apologize. If we lived in the same state, I would apologize to your face. I don't even know if you remember, but I do, and I am sorry. And Chad uh, writes back to him, says, I'm quite moved by this. Thank you. I accept your apology. In 20 years, you're the only person who apologized for being a bully to me when we were younger. And then he responds, thank you. Your forgiveness means more than you know, and I hope I am not the last to ask forgiveness from you Cheers. And that touches on so many different things, including uh, what sounds like, Margie, a really good apology that Chad got. It really is. And, you know, in another interview, Chad said he didn't even really remember this guy because everybody bullied him. He was a little gay kid in a rural town and um, he had to be escorted to his locker because the football team, the entire football team 
uh, you know, harassed him and threatened to beat him up. So not I think it's important to note that this went viral um, because people like hearing, you know, a lot of times people say to us, Ugh, why make a public apology? People are just going to pillory you on social media. Social media is, you know, toxic and a sewer. It can be. But it can also, I think it's revealing that people love these stories of good apologies and both parties really felt, uh, I don't know, purified is an awfully rarefied word, but yeah. Well, to ask for forgiveness and to be forgiven is, is a very powerful experience. It's a huge load off. It makes you feel so light and so um, good. Susan, what, the, uh, reading through the book, I, the, the feeling or well, the impression I walked away with is that apologies are really about relationships. And it's about preserving relationships, honoring relationships, being good to relationships. Can you expand on that? Sure. And, and let me just say thank you for reading the book, Marty. Uh, oh, sure. <laughs> <not everybody laughs> I know that doesn't often happen. read the book. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that apologies, a good apology, and 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 its acceptance leaves a relationship stronger than it was before. And so, if you can take the risk in a relationship to lower yourself, make yourself vulnerable, and apologize, acknowledge that you messed up in some way, and tell the other person that you're sorry and you want their relation, your relationship to be better, and they accept that. You're in so much stronger a place than you were before. And it's never too late to either offer or even accept an apology, Susan? Absolutely. I got an apology, oh gosh, oh, more than 25 years after, let's just say I got dumped in high school in a <laughs> really painful way. Not a- I'm not laughing. I'm laughing of recognition because, <laughs> yes, that happened too. And I got an apology for that and... Initially, it was not a great apology. It was somewhat uh, hands-off, but it meant so much to me to get an apology for something that had hurt me so badly at the time. And later, you know, that reestablished that relationship. Later, I got a really wonderful and thoughtful apology for which I, I'm just so grateful we're friends again after all these years. Wow. Uh, it just yeah, and that was so a, a friend group. Susan, that was a friend group, right? It wasn't a boyfriend dumping. It was a a group of friends who dumped you and you had no idea why. That's right. Uh, You know, I spent years wondering why. Well, and it's so interesting that these childhood hurts and experiences can can last a lifetime, Susan. It is true. It is true. And that's why it's really worth trying to mend those things. But, you know, people often ask us, you know, it's been five weeks. Is it too late to apologize (laughs) for that stupid thing I said in the meeting? No, no. You it's also, not too late. You also include four reasons not to apologize. Number one, you don't mean it. Number two, it would hurt the other person. Number three, the other person doesn't want to hear from you. Four, the other person is demanding too many apologies. And I'm interested in this part, Marjorie, if you could, you know, expand on some of those ideas there. Sure. Um, a bad apology is often worse than no apology. So if you apologize and you really don't think you did anything wrong, you're going to make things worse. What you might want to do is talk to a a friend who you trust about whether you really are as blameless as you think you are. Um, Number two, about it would hurt the other person. 
sometimes if somebody doesn't know something, it's worth saying, do I really want to open this can of worms? If Is it, you know, I apologize for not telling you the gossip that I heard about your spouse. You know, uh, uh, be, be careful about things that, that are more hurtful than helpful. Uh, number three is if the other person doesn't want to hear from you, um, uh, you know, going into a 12-step program or a recovery program can be amazing. But a thing that can be bad is sometimes people are so eager to make amends, they make it more about themselves and they're going off running out willy-nilly apologizing to people who maybe haven't thought about them in a while or have really been hurt by them. Uh, you have to think about whether you have to sit with the discomfort rather than go out apologizing to somebody who does not want you in their life. And the number four about the other person demanding too many apologies is something we often hear from therapists about the apology has happened, but and it's been a good apology, but the other person just keeps bringing up the offense over and over again as a, uh, you know, a weapon in any kind of a fight. That's a, a dangerous place to be. And that's something that both parties have to deal with in therapy. And simply apologizing over and over and over again is not the answer. You also say, Susan, uh, you can apologize for what you do, for what you say, but don't apologize for who you are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and knowing the difference, I guess, right? Yeah, I think I think a lot of times uh, this is more common uh, that women and people of color are uh, apt to find themselves apologizing just for being there as a woman or a person of color. And I think this is one reason why you see more and more people describing themselves as unapologetic. And I think what they're saying is, I am not sorry that, you know, I am a black woman speaking to you. You know, it's, they're not saying they're unapologetic for things they did or said. They're saying that they are not apologetic for being who they are. Well, I'm going to quote again from your book because I did read it. And this is Sonia Renee Taylor. And it is, uh, I think, Susan, picking up on what you're just saying there, where she wrote for decades, I spread out before the world a buffet of apologies. I apologize for laughing too loudly, for being too big, too dark, too flamboyant, too outspoken, analytical. I watch countless others roll out similar scrolls of contrition. We apologize for our weight, our race, our sexual orientation. And she goes, on from there and Marjorie it's it's kind of a in your she's not she's obviously talking about having to apologize for who she is or was rather than anything that she did or said Marty again I'm so psyched that you read the book and that you are bringing this (laughs) level of nuance to this conversation because a lot of times people ask us oh you know I'm a woman I apologize too much I know I do and my first question is always are you apologizing too much or is it that men are the default and men are not apologizing enough and uh, I feel like I love that quote from Sonia Renee Taylor me too and I think yeah it's so good but like you know, we're policing women's speech for uptalk. We're policing women's speech for vocal fry, uh, for sounding too tentative. Um, it just seems like, one, you know, saying, oh, no, I know I apologize too much. Uh, maybe, you know, just don't worry about it. Just own who you are. If you have a few vocal tics, who really cares? And also, if, you know, if you 
whatever you got to do to get through the day, babe, <laughs> you know? But do women, Susan, apologize more than men, broadly speaking? Uh, yeah, they do. Broadly or we speaking. do, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do, we do. And certainly Marjorie and I have not... Uh, we apologize more than we did before we started this research, but I'm pleased okay. about that. Uh, yeah, there was a study that, that showed that men and women apologize equal amounts if they think they've done something to apologize for, but the difference is that women are more apt to think, oh, I should apologize for that thing I did, and men are more likely to think, ah, no need to apologize for that. Why do you think that is? I think men go through the world as the default, almost. Everything is made for them. You know, the the seatbelt hits them in the right place. You don't realize, you know, what it's like to be the, you know, the person in prime position a lot of the time. Uh, And women and people of color are often made aware that they are not the default. Uh, So I'm always, I think it's incredibly to white men's credit when I hear them, you know, both apologizing for, and and a corollary to that is you see these certain great white guys who are like, I want to know what so-and-so thinks about that. And who else is going to be on the panel? These are all sort of related ways to make sure that everybody is equal in the conversation. Uh, One thing that we found while researching this book is that Sari has a lot of sisters and siblings and corollaries about ways to make the world better for other people. And we are talking about a book called Sorry, 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 The Case for Good Apologies. That's Marjorie Ingle and Susan McCarthy, and they are co-authors of this book. I do want to play some more clips, but just something that came to mind. I remember years ago interviewing a uh, soccer coach, and this was really when women's soccer was was in the very, it's kind of infancy, not what it is today. And he had, he had uh, coached a men's team, and now he was coaching a, a women's team. And these were professional players. And Marjorie, the thing that really struck him was well, how often these women, these gifted women players on the field would say, sorry, sorry. I mean, almost as a reflex. Yeah, it's, um, you know, on the one hand, I feel like don't spend all of your energy policing your own speech. On the other hand, we read all of this uh, advice from career coaches about women who say sorry too much. And one thing that I took away that I really liked was instead of saying, sorry to bother you, um, if you're in, the, in a work setting, say, is now a good time? Because it has the same effect, but you're, why should you apologize for sure. needing the information, you know, to that will help you do your job better and make everybody in the office look better. Well, let's talk about some public figures. And let me just ask a, a broad question to you, Susan, which is, um, do do famous public figures, celebrities, do they do any better job than the rest of us when it comes to apologies? Oh, I don't think so. Uh, they, you know, celebrities, famous people, politicians, uh uh, executives, they don't have any more training. They don't have any more good models than the average person. And they're very concerned about their image. And that uh, makes them tend to panic. And, uh, you know, I can't admit anything. I can't show fault. And so they're just as liable, perhaps even more liable to make bad apologies. Ideally, 
they then come back with a better one. Well, let me play a clip from, this is a British Prime Minister Boris Johnson when he broke the, the United Kingdom's COVID-19 lockdown. He attended a surprise party for himself on June 2020, uh, which was illegal. He apologized to lawmakers in the House of Commons two years later, and he was fined something like 65 American dollars. I offered the British people a full apology, and I take this opportunity on the first available sitting day to repeat my wholehearted apology to the House. Let me also say, not by way of mitigation or excuse, but purely, purely because it explains my previous words in this House, that it did not occur to me then or subsequently that a gathering in the Cabinet room just before a vital meeting on COVID strategy could amount to a breach of the rules. So Marjorie, how did he do? <laughs> that was so abysmal. And I love how, you know, all the people, of all the fancy British people in the background going, yes, 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 yes. As soon as he started talking, no one It that started it out well, how, though, right? I mean, yeah, it, he it said, I, I apologize unreservedly. Sounds right. great. And then he went on to say, this is not by mitigation or excuse. And then he goes on to make an excuses. We were making COVID policy. That was all I was doing was getting together with a few friends before we got together to save your life. And it's like, shut up, Boris. <laughs> Susan, any thoughts on that? Yes, uh, Marjorie's got it. Plus, you notice he said that he's repeating his apology. You often hear this. People will go, I have, I've apologized so many times. And they're conveying a little bit of resentment there that they're having to apologize. And is he showing that he understands the impact? No, he is not. Uh, you know, there were people who were not able to go to the deathbeds of their loved ones because they were forced to comply with the policy that he was ignoring. And that is one reason people were so angry with him, and it's one reason why he's not prime minister now. Yeah, fascinating. Let me play another one, and this is a former BP CEO, Tony Hayward, talking about uh, what happened, the, the BP oil spill of 2010. And uh, he's talking to uh, Coast Guard employees, and this is the spill in the Gulf of Mexico, considered to be the largest marine spill in U.S. history. We're sorry for the massive disruption it's caused to their lives. And, you know, we're, there's no one who wants this thing over more than I do. You know, I'd like my life back. So there's no one who wants this thing done more than I do. And we are doing everything we can to contain the oil offshore, defend the shoreline, and return people's lives to normal as fast as we, we can. And, and there's just no effort being spared in any dimension. And Susan, he did say, I wanted to get my life back, and he was really pilloried for that. He did go on to say, I think he sort of heard or saw the error of his of his words, saying that that was a hurtful and thoughtless comment. But it's one, when you Google, you know, sorry, and corporation, it's the one that's uh, usually at the top of the list. You know, Marty, I actually did reporting from the Gulf Coast after the BP spill. Oh, wow. I went to places where people were washing birds that had survived or birds they hoped would survive, people who had come across the country to do that. I've talked to people on the Gulf Coast who, whose livelihoods were destroyed. So when he says nobody wants this more than me, he's wrong. Right. Uh, the families Marjorie. of the 11 men who died probably want this a little more than him. 
And I mean, as I said, I'm, I'm not excusing him or giving him the benefit of the doubt, but maybe as a result of all the criticism he got, Marjorie, he he at least uh, came back and tried to fix what he said. He did. Uh, we like to say that we regular, you know, non-public eye people are often better at apologizing than our governments, our corporate executives, our institutions. Um because we're not pontificating for this unseen, you know, the unseen masses. We can do better than our institutions. That's uh, Marjorie Engel, who joins us along with Susan McCarthy today on The Connection. And we're talking about their new book. It's called Sorry, 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 The Case for Good Apologies. Well, we, we're, excuse me, we are going to talk more after this very short break. We're going to talk about children and other issues as well. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. This is Ray, excuse me, this is The Connection here on WHYY in Philadelphia. I'm Marty Moscowain talking with Marjorie Engel and Susan McCarthy. They are both journalists, both uh, creators of the website Sorry Watch, and they both wrote a book together called Sorry, 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 The Case for Good Apologies. Here's a bit of an antidote to uh, Boris Johnson, and this is from Monty Python's Flying Circus. Uh, of course, the 1970s British comedy TV series issuing a satiric, snarky, and frankly insulting apology to politicians for one of their sketches. We would like to apologize for the way in which politicians are represented in this program. It was never our intention to imply that politicians are weak-kneed political time servers who are concerned more with their personal vendettas and private power struggles than the problems of government nor to suggest at any point that they sacrifice their credibility by denying free debate on vital matters in the mistaken impression that party unity comes before the well-being of the people they supposedly represent. Nor to imply at any stage that they are squabbling little toadies without an ounce of concern for the vital social problems of today. Nor indeed do we intend that viewers should consider them as crabby, ulcerous little self-seeking vermin with furry legs and an excessive addition to alcohol and certain explicit sexual practices which some people might find offensive. We are sorry if this impression has come across. I guess that's Marjorie sorry, not sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That's exquisite. That was just beautiful, wasn't it? Uh, It's also, it's fun to note that, uh, you know, you can definitely use an apology like that when you are absolutely not sorry. It's just an exquisitely polite little, you know, surgical instrument of torture, uh, which I enjoyed immensely. Yeah, very British, right, Susan? Very British. Oh, yes. <laughs> very Monty Python. Well, let me play one more public apology, and this is actually former talk show host Ellen DeGeneres, and she apologized to her staff. This was a couple of years ago in 2020. This was after an investigation by the network into accusations of a toxic workplace. Let's give it a listen. Maybe some of you know that, you know, I was an actress I've played a straight woman in movies, so I'm a pretty good actress. (laughs) But I don't think that I'm that good that I could come out here every day for 17 years and fool you. This is me, and my intention is to always be the best person I can be. 
And if I've ever let someone down, if I've ever hurt their feelings, I am so sorry for that. If that's ever the case, I have let myself down and I've hurt myself as well because I always try to grow as a person. I look at everything that comes into my life as an opportunity to learn. Susan, what do you make of that? Well, like Tony Hayward, there's a certain element of, I'm the victim here. Uh, the if, 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 if I ever. That's a sign of a very bad apology. I, I kind of lobbied to have our book called be called, titled, Never Say Sorry If, but weirdly <laughs> sorry, I was voted down. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that's just, you know. She's not being specific. She's not taking responsibility. She's going right to her sweet, kind hopes and intentions to be a nice person. Marjorie? It's, yeah, I would say that um, remember what she's responding to here is there were something like 80 allegations of both an atmosphere of bullying, sexual harassment, sexual assault, um, a lot of celebrities came out with stories about Ellen being a jerk to them. And um, this notion of if, 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 and I'm kind, and I've, I go through life as a wonderful human being, um, I am this person. Uh, this is not how you put other people's feelings at the forefront. How she- and it's, it, feels, it feels not truthful because it didn't respond to the actual allegations. Or say that she would do something better, as you suggest in your six steps, right? Exactly, exactly. She said, um, she also said, anyone who knows me knows that this is the opposite of what I believe. Um, so, you know, we have, as a joke throughout the book, we have these bad apology bingo cards, and Ellen's apology alone would fill out like 70 bingo cards. <laughs> ouch, ouch. This is sort of a segue type question, but do we also live in a a country or a culture where people apologize too much or or demand apologies from other people? And I'm just thinking about, you know, there's a lot of of anger about things that people have done and said in the past and, and demanding either an apology or that they lose their job. And I wonder sort of what you make of, of the environment that we're in today, Susan. I think a lot of this is uh, happening on social media, which is, uh, it's, it's even worse than a double-edged sword. It cuts wildly in all directions. And we see people on social media being called out for, you know, racist photos of them in costumes in, in high school. And they're going, wait, I was so young. And other people are piling on and, and saying... Yeah, but that's you in that picture, isn't it? And I think that that doesn't look like a nice thing. But on the other hand, one of the effects of social media today is that we're seeing a lot more apologies and we're seeing a lot more apologies critiqued. And I think a lot of times you'll see a lousy apology followed by a good one. And that's really interesting and that's really educational for the rest of us to see how you can fix a situation where you messed up. Do you, do you agree with that, Marjorie? I mean, that, that we live in this sort of world of you owe, many, you owe me an apology, and is that a good thing in the end? Yes, um, because apologies can be a way to build bridges. Um, I would like to say about social media, though, that it's a blessing and a curse. Right. Um, there will always be people who love a pile-on, 
are not interested in whether somebody is capable of learning and growing. And I'd like to think that apologies are about, you know, it, when they're a real apology and not a gaslighting, you know, get me out of this, you know, full of it apology. Apologies are an opportunity to educate someone and to help someone learn and grow and to help make the world better. They're not, uh, you know, in our real lives, they are not about scoring points. Um, so on the one hand, I get the game and the fun of social media and mocking people on it. Um, and on the other hand, social media can be a way for previously unheard voices to get amplified in a way that they really should be. Um, but they're just one tool in an arsenal of how we learn to apologize. And there are these big apologies, you know, about slavery, for instance, in this country, or the Holocaust in in Germany and and the call for reparations. And and this is, you know, a a much larger uh, uh, act of of contrition and making amends, Susan. But what do you make of that? I think, uh, first of all, governments avoid apologizing for those big things like slavery and the Holocaust. They're, They're... because making reparations for something that big is a huge task. And certainly making apologies for slavery is not something that we have accomplished in the United States. We looked in the book at the apologies for the incarceration of Japanese Americans and also at the incarceration of Japanese Canadians and compared them a little. And those apologies ended up being good ones, but people had to fight for them. Politicians resisted as, as hard as they could, trying, and they said, you know, if we apologize to them, we'll have to apologize to everybody we've wronged. Yeah, what would be wrong with that? Uh, they said, uh, it wasn't me that did it. Um, and yes, that's true, but you represent the government of your country. If you're going to represent the government of your country, for things that are good and that you're proud of, you also need to represent it for things that were bad and that need to be apologized and made reparations for. So Marjorie, in the end, were they good apologies or or good enough apologies? No apology is ever going to satisfy anyone. It's going to satisfy everyone. But on the other hand, some people have been, you know, we, we quoted people in the book who were so gratified to have gotten an apology from a government that had wronged them. Um, I wanted to go back for a second and point out that Germany's model of accepting its hol- the Holocaust past that everyone is still, you know, wrestling with today, Germany, I feel like, has been a model in how a country looks at its wrongness and badness. Um, if you look at other countries that had some complicity in the deaths of Jews and Roma um, and people who were turned over to the Nazis, they blame Germany for everything. And it's been an excuse not to wrestle with their own thorny pasts. So um, we all look, uh, it's a good way to think we can all look at other people's models and we can all do better ourselves. And that's uh, Marjorie Ingle, uh, who joins us along with Susan McCarthy, talking about their new book called Sorry, 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 The Case for Good Apologies. Well, let's talk about children um, and how children can learn to apologize. And, And Susan, is it any different, those six essential steps? Is that different for children? Oh, it's just the same. 
uh, one thing that's uh, perhaps, it's not unique to children, but it's particularly marked in children, is that adults have a bad habit of lecturing a child after they've made the child apologize. And that's a mistake. It's a mistake that people sometimes make in animal training. You know, you have a puppy, you call the puppy to come, and the puppy doesn't pay any attention. It's too busy frolicking and having fun. And when the puppy finally comes, a person who doesn't understand animal training may grab the puppy by the collar and say, bad dog, because they're telling the dog it was bad when it didn't come. So the puppy thinks, oh, why should I come when they call? They'll just shake me by the collar. And similarly, if you say, you have to apologize for hitting Jordan, and the child apologizes for hitting Jordan, and you then say, we don't hit people in this house, hitting Mm. people, yeah, then you are punishing the child for apologizing by giving them a lecture. If you want to give them a lecture, you can do it either before you make them apologize or later. And when they do apologize, you want to say, that was good. You did something a lot of adults can't do. And Margie, should children be made to apologize? Is that important? If they're reluctant, they don't want to, they're crying, you know, all the the reasons. And and I think we all can relate to that, that they do not want to apologize to someone. Yes. Make them do it anyway. (laughs) I practically cry when I have to apologize. Um, yeah, when when a kid is very small, when a kid is, say, under five, um, they're still, you know, narcissistic, you know, feral little beings. And you have to learn to apologize, just as you learn to tie your shoes, just as you learn not to touch a hot stove. Um, yes, so in those cases, yes, I believe you make the child apologize. Where you start getting into difficult situations is there are some parents who say, you know, they don't want to know who did the bad thing. They're just like, you guys apologize to each other and make up. Shake hands. Mm-hmm. Um, that is not helpful. That is not justice. Um, a lot of times they, you know, even in schools, they do this sort of um, mediation thing that is that involves making both parties in a dispute apologize to each other. And that is not helpful when one person is actually a victim. Um, so... You know, I, I feel like it's difficult. To, our book is this constant plea for nuance, which doesn't always play. But everything is complicated, uh, except for those six and a half steps, which are not. Which are not. You use the word justice, though, Marjorie. I mean, is that what we're talking about? That, yes, it is what we're talking about. Apologies are about making things right. Um, when things have gone off the rails, they're an attempt to restore harmony and fairness. So when you don't care, when you're like, I don't, I know one of you did something, both of you just apologize. Is that harmony and fairness? It may be harmony, but it's a false harmony, and it's certainly not fair. I noticed, Susan, you co-authored a book called When Elephants Weep, The Emotional Lives of Animals. You also wrote a book called Becoming a Tiger, How Baby Animals Learn to Live in the World. And I'm curious about the, the connection, if I can use that word, between those books and this one. Is there one? Oh, yes. I'm so glad you asked that. I mean, I gave you the dog training example. Yeah. But one thing that I found, especially in the uh, book about animal learning, is that one of the best ways to learn something is not to be taught, but to watch someone else be taught. So if you're trying to teach a difficult task to an animal, the animal will learn better if you turn around and try to teach it to another person and the animal gets to watch. This is how Irene Pepperberg has been so successful in teaching 
gray parrots to speak with understanding. Um, is she to use the model rival thing where the, Alex the parrot got to watch her teach a graduate student to do it. And then, you know, you're watching someone be taught and you think, oh, I see that mistake. Oh, I would do better if it was me. And so that actually applies in many domains is that watching someone else be taught is the low pressure, easy way to learn. And that's one thing that we hope that people will get from our book is that they will see other people messing up or doing well and that they can learn how a good apology works without having to be under pressure themselves until the time comes. And Marjorie, you wrote a book called, you wrote two books, Mamala Knows Best, What Jewish Mothers Do to Raise Creative, Empathetic, and Independent Children. You also wrote a book called The Field Guide to the North American Male. <laughs> is, there a, is there a connection between those books and this one? Well, there. Uh, in terms of the latter, uh, there's certainly a lot of humor in this book because we do believe that using humor uh, helps uh thorny topics go down a little easier. Um, but in terms of Mamala Knows Best, uh, you know, I wrote for uh, Jewish publications for many years. And every year at the high holidays, you start thinking about apologies and forgiveness. So I was writing a lot about that topic. And as far as the Mamala part, um, which means mama, um, I was the parent to a decidedly feral toddler who spent pretty much all of nursery school in the consequences chair. And so I was constantly thinking about how do I teach this child to be an ethical, you know, kind human being. And I am pleased to report that the feral toddler is now <laughs> a college student who is planning on going into teaching and does all kinds of cool activism and is a lovely, lovely, fair-minded human. So um, I guess if you really, uh, you know, carp on them and give them a lot of guilt like a good Jewish mother. Then you <laughs> it, it works. You're a living example. Well, we have to leave. Well, I am. We have to I'm leave here it. to tell you. <laughs> I hear you. Marjorie Ingle, Susan McCarthy, we got to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us today on The Connection. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. You're very welcome. They're both journalists. They're both co-creators of the website Sorry Watch, and they're both authors of this book that we were talking about, and it's called Sorry, 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 The Case for Good Apologies. And again, Marjorie Ingle and Susan McCarthy joining us today on The Connection. Diana Martinez, the engineer for today's edition of Radio Times, the show produced by Debbie Builder and Paige Murray-Bessler. I'm Marty Moss-Cohen. Thank you so much for joining us.